Some of you know that um, last week we had the IFCA regional um, a, a week and a half ago, now it's a week and a half ago, and we had it on Monday and Tuesday, and it was a lot of work. It was, uh, you know, a lot of food and a lot of stuff, Lori could tell you, and the crew and everything to set it up and have them all come, and I thought the regional went great. I One of the best I've, I thought it was in a while, and by God's grace, we were just a host church, and everyone was involved in helping it, but afterwards, I got an email. Don't you love those emails you get after, after you do something and pour your heart out to the Lord and try to help them, and you know it's coming. Did you send them to the parking lot? No. <laughs> we didn't even send them to the parking lot. We love them and help them, and, um, and so we get this email, and you know, it wasn't really a critical email, but it was more like, why did you bother going through all the trouble? Was it really worth it? And you get those kind of emails, and it just makes you pause for a moment. Instead of saying, you know, hey, we did all that, and it was, you know, praise God, God was glorified, and it was worth it and all that. You get an email, you know, why'd you, why'd you go through all the trouble? Um, I look at yesterday, and I see a lot of work put into that. I mean, a lot of work. And you say, well, why, why, why do we go through all that trouble? Why, why go through a breakfast? Why do we even meet on Sundays? And 8 o'clock, for crying out loud, I mean, couldn't we make it 12 o'clock so we could sleep in our one day? Amen. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> wow. I knew I'd get an amen somewhere in the front row here. <laughs> and, you know, you ask yourself this question, really, what makes serving the Lord so attractive? Because really, it's just hard work. And people, after you're done, they just tell you, why'd you even do it? And let me just tell you what's interesting about this. There's different ways that we can get people to serve the Lord. Are you ready for this? Some misguided motivations for serving God. How about pressure? We had a lady one time, it was the best. She was in charge here of getting people to bring snacks to Sunday school. And, and, and I remember she had a whole list filled of people. I'm like, how did you do it? Well, here's how she did it. When are you bringing snacks? Put your name on there. Put your name on there. Why are you bringing them? Never even asked. They were voluntold. <laughs> and the pressure. People like to put pressure on you. And we have to be really careful about that and putting guilt and pressure and, and manipulation and all that. And people just say, you know, I, I want to I wanna serve the Lord. I wasn't here at the time, but we had an usher that would pick up the offering at the time and he would put pressure on people. That's back when the offering plates went around and he would stand there until you got in your pocket and put something in. The offering went down 20% when he stopped taking it up and I don't know what happened there. But a lot of pressure. There's different ways we can put pressure and make you serve the Lord and that's not what God wants. Here's another one. Pay. Some people say, I'll just serve the Lord. How much money are you going to give me? You know, I'll, I'll do it. I, I, I remember uh, one guy came in. He says, oh, oh I, I like what you put. Well, I'll accept the Lord. You just give me a certain amount of money. I'll accept God. Wow. And people say, oh, it's the pay. One pastor, after 20 years of ministering, his wife left him and said, we've just been too poor doing this. I'm going to find a man who has money. Left him. 
The pay? Is that what motivates people? How about this one? Praise. Oh, we like that, huh? We like the, we like the praise. We like the encouraging word. Oh, that was a great one, Pastor. That was a, oh, I'm so glad you do this. And boy, I want that. We want the praise. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that those who give you the praise are also the ones that will talk behind your back. And what happens when the praise doesn't come? That's when your motives are checked. And nobody's saying that was a good job. And nobody really liked that sermon. Or no one even liked that you held uh, something out in the community. Or no one liked that you had the regional. And you don't get praise. Then what? How about this one? People say, I just served the Lord because I love doing it. It is just so much fun. And let me tell you, I do love doing it. It is so much fun. But it is emotionally, physically, uh, spiritually exhausting. I mean, there are times when I'm eating with someone after I preach a sermon. I don't even know they're next to me. My mind is like dead. And they're talking about, hey, Pastor. I'm like, oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> After you get done with some of these things, you're exhausted. You're exhausted. And, and, and the pleasure's there, but oftentimes the body's just wiped out. So we need something else. We need not the pressure. We need not the pay, not the praise, not the pleasure. There needs to be another reason to help us to serve the Lord. And here it is. It's very simple. We serve God. Why? Because He lives. Amen. We have a purpose in what we do for the Lord, as we're going to see you in a moment. We exhaust ourselves for God because He lives. We have a mission because He lives. And we love to talk about the resurrection, and the resurrection is a wonderful thing. But if we really understand the resurrection, we are going to serve God like never before and give Him our all. But let's humor people for a moment here. Let's just say this is all a hoax. My, my stepfather tells me, uh, he goes, you know what, I, 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 and the only time I really see him cry and really get upset is when he thinks about his grandchildren and great-grandchildren, what they're going to face in this world. And he says this, but I, I'm not really worried because I'm going to be in a box. I'll be dead. There's just nothing afterwards. Let's just, let's humor him for a moment. Let's play the what-if game. Anybody like the what-if game? Let's play the what-if game. You ever see that movie, What If, by the way? It's really a good movie. You know, the What If movie where he, he's about to get married, but he doesn't, and he, get, he goes away from the girlfriend, and he doesn't marry the girlfriend. He lives his life, becomes a successful businessman, and all of a sudden God brings him back to that point again. He has a family, and he doesn't know what to do. He's got a family, he wants his career. What if he would have chose that girl at that time? How life would have been different? We love playing the What If games. Let's play the What If There Is Nothing After Death. You want to play that one for a moment? Look at this here. Let's play that game for a moment. Because in this very church, look at this. What if there is no resurrection? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 12. It says, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So, so really, he, he's talking to people who, who, who say, you know what, maybe there isn't nothing afterwards. And, and maybe there is no resurrection after dead. And maybe we're just annihilated. Maybe we just go in a box. Maybe it's just over. I, I've talked to many people who are like that. And they'll say to you, well, I hope there's something, but I just don't know. Nobody's ever come back and told us there is. That's a big mistake. Yes, there has. Jesus. But anyway, no one's ever come back. 
And so they're like, so we don't know, I hope. I remember talking to one person, tears in their eyes. I hope there's something after it. I just don't know. Well, let's just say there's not. Let's, let's play that what if. There's nothing after this life. We're just annihilated, going to a box. We're done after this. What happens? Well, let's look at what he says here. He mentions a few things. The first thing he mentions in verse 13, he says, all right, if there is no resurrection, and you guys need to think this through, if there is no resurrection, guess what? Christ has not been raised. He's dead. Because you can't have Christ's resurrection and not your resurrection, they go together. And you know what this means? If Christ is dead, this means he was not God. He's just a dead Savior. And you know what a dead Savior does us? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. We're just like any other religion out there that has a dead Savior. Nothing. And so they say, he says here, if there is nothing after death, I want you to think what you're saying. You're saying Christ is not God. You're saying Christ is dead. He's a hoax. He's just dead. He's not alive. Wow. You're going to say that? How about the next thing he says here? He says, our preaching has no substance. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is what? Anybody watch Charlie Brown? Right? The beautiful cartoon there. Have you noticed what they did to the adults in Charlie Brown? <laughs> you ever hear the adults speak in Charlie Brown? Wah, 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 wah. You can't understand. Wah, 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 wah. Okay, ma. Wah, 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 wah. We don't even know what they're saying. If, if there is no resurrection, you know what I'm doing every Sunday? Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> wah. It means nothing. It's empty. It has no substance. Think about it. When we want to talk to our friends and give them hope and our family and give them hope, all our preaching has no substance to it at all. Our message is nothing. It does nothing. Wow. Is there no resurrection? How about this? Our faith is in vain. We have nothing to rest in. We rest in Jesus that he died, he was buried, and he rose again. When we stand before God, we point to a living Savior. And yet... If there is nothing after death, we have nothing to rest our faith in. And so we, our preaching is vain. Our, our faith is vain. And, and look at this here. We are nothing but liars. We are misrepresenting God. He says here in verse 15, Moreover, even if we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. So here's what he's saying. We're nothing but liars. We're nothing but misrepresenting the truth of God. We're going around saying the wrong things about the Bible because there is nothing after death. And so we're calling God a liar and we're being liars as well. Wow, that's a pretty strong statement. Here's another one. We have a sin problem that hasn't been solved. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And watch this. You are still where? In your sins. The wages of sin is what? Death. And death, we deserve the very wrath of God. But if there is no resurrection and Christ is not raised from the dead, then we are still going to face the very wrath of God. We still have a sin problem. Our sins are not forgiven. We have no assurance of forgiveness because there's nothing after this life. Here's another one that really hurts worse than us 
possibly going to hell or whatever. He says this, we have no hope of seeing our loved ones who have passed away. Look at this verse. If there is no resurrection, watch this. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are what? They're perished. They're done. We'll never see them again. And, and, and let me just tell you something. I can't wait to see Jesus in heaven. But I can't wait to see some of my loved ones. I miss Grandpa Tom. I can't wait to see him. No oxygen. Up there in heaven. I can't wait to tell him some of the new jokes I learned. <laughs> and you know it's amazing? He will laugh. Why? Because he has a glorified... He's glorified now. He will laugh. There's no sin in heaven. But when we think about this, really, what kind of hope do we have of those who have perished before us? We want to see them again. And he says, if there is no resurrection, then the people who have died, death beat them. Death won. We will never see them again. And that's not true. And then look at this in verse 19. He says, he says this, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be what? Pitied. We are the most miserable. Anybody is better than us. Why? Because we're trying to serve Christ. We're trying to preach Christ. We're trying to live for Christ. For what? There's nothing. And so people who can care less about Christ, people who never pray, people who never read the Bible, people who have no hope in this world are better off than us. We should be the ones they be looking at and saying, you know what? Oh, these poor guys, they get up early in the morning, they eat a bread for what? There's nothing. They're just going to die. He says, anybody's better off than us if there is no resurrection. And so he goes right down this. He says, Christ is dead. Why do we even preach? What do we believe in? We're liars. We're still in our sins. The people who have died before us will never see them again if this is true. And then he says this. We are but men that people should look at and feel pity for. But, here's verse 20. Now Christ has been raised. Amen. He is alive. It is not a hoax. He did not spend, uh, he did not faint on the cross and then while he was buried got his strength up and then snuck out of the grave and ran away and died somewhere else and they can't find his body. He did not do that. He is alive. He rose again and this is what it means. Since he rose again, all of us, whether or not we believe or not, all of us will rise again. Some to everlasting life with him and some to everlasting condemnation. But all of us will. He is the first fruits of those who are asleep. And so how do we respond to that, that he, he is alive right now? How do we respond? Right here in this text, he's going to tell us our response to the resurrection. How should we respond to this? Here it is. This is beautiful. I love this. We're going to look at just... By the way, that was my introduction. We're going to get to... But not one amen. We're going to look at that one, one verse. That's all I'm asking. One verse. Just pay attention to one verse. We're going to study one verse, all right? We'll go through this quick. I'll get you out of here by 1230. But here it is. 
Our response to the resurrection, not one amen, this is a rough, what do you feed him for breakfast? You put him all to sleep. Right, our response to the resurrection, you put MSG in there? I don't know what it was. Here it is here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, here it is. Look at this. Don't miss this. Be steadfast. Stick with it. Let me say this. It is easy to become disillusioned. It is easy to become discouraged. It is easy to disappear and say, I'm done with church. I'm done with God's people. I've been too hurt. They've said too many things that have bothered me. And let me just tell you, churches have done that and they will continue to do that. Why? Because we're all tainted with sin. And they say some of the meanest things and they, maybe they don't mean it at the time, but boy, it sure does hurt. Who wants an email after you, you spent two days trying to, to help people and you get an email saying, why would you even bother? How do, you, how do you like preparing a sermon and then somebody give you sermon notes from another pastor and say, why don't you learn how to preach from this guy? By the way, that did happen to me. How about going into churches and you were there and gave your life for five to ten years and you decide you don't know what God wants, but nobody calls you. No one even cares that you're gone. That happens. We become disillusioned. We become depressed. And we start moving back in our service. And we say to ourselves, you know what? I really, back when I was younger, I really served the Lord, but I've been hurt over time, time, and time again. Why do I just keep serving? I am done. I love God, but His people, I'm done with. He says, no, stick with it. Yes. Stick with it. Be steadfast. Don't give up on it. Stick with it. In fact, look at the next word. Be immovable. Don't let anyone take your joy away from what you're doing for God. You, you stick with it and you don't move. You are immovable. You are not, they're not able to sway you in your convictions. You understand that because he lives, you are giving your life for him. And because of that, no matter what they say or no matter what they do, it will not stop you from serving God. He says, stick with it. Don't, don't move. In fact, here it is. This is going to blow our minds. Here's what we should do. We should always what? Abound in the work of the Lord. Now, he's not saying you shouldn't rest and take a nap, or put your phone on do not disturb, or relax sometimes. We can do that. That's okay. But here's where we err. We want that relaxing. We want that stepping back. And we err on that side. And God's saying this, err on the side of overdoing it. I look at Tim Chowing. He blows my mind. He overdoes it. I fear for him sometimes. I'm like, where are you going now? I'm going to Green River. I'm going over here. I'm going over there. I'm going over here. I'm going over here. I'm like, Tim! And then, and then he says, I'll help you with the Good Friday service. I thought that was great. Then it was all Tim. I was like, wow, Tim! He loves serving God. He overdoes it. 
He's here on this side. He's over over here. He's like way over here. And he even forgets sometimes. Oh, it's me preaching there. Okay, I'm up here. I mean, he forgets. Overdo it, he's saying. Don't, don't err on this side. Err on this side. A, a, abound in God's work. Here's what it's saying. The interesting, that word abounding. Because it literally means that our work for the Lord should be grown. We should be serving God now more than ever before. So when you talk to somebody who's about to retire, here's what you say to them. What are your goals for serving the Lord during retirement? Because some would say, now that I'm retired, I let the younger people do what I used to do. No, no, we are always abounding in the work of the Lord as long as we have breath. It does not stop. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I, I think of Chalmer, 92. And he was excited. I think it was a couple of years ago. They made him the chaplain of the Gideons. They waited till he was 90 to give it to him. <laughs> you would think at 90 he would say, you know what, maybe a young guy can do it. No, he wants that stuff. He wants to abound in the work of the Lord. We are always to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Why are we, should we always, and you, here's, here's the question that, so why bother? Why, why go through it, Jeremy? I know what's going to happen. I know I'm going to just start serving God and doing things, and I know people are going to get on my nerves, and I'm going to get disillusioned again, depressed, and I'm going to start leaving. God, why should I do it? Why do, why do I do it? And here it is. Don't miss this. You have to know something. If you don't know this, you will never abound in the work of the Lord. We have to know something. Here's what we have to know. Verse 58. We know that our toil, our labor, our hardships, our pain is not what? It's not an empty life. In fact, it's the most fulfilling life you can ever have. There is nothing more fulfilling than doing what Jesus wants. You may not feel fulfilled. You may not see it. But I'm here to tell you, everything that we do for him is not in vain. Where you are in your work doesn't mean you have to quit work, go to a seminary, be a pastor to do work for the Lord. You do work for the Lord where God has put you. You serve the Lord there. You serve the Lord in the place that God has put you to congregate in the church. You serve the Lord there. You abound in the work of the Lord where God has placed you. But what you do, no matter what they say, no matter what they write, no matter what happens here on this earth, is not in vain in the Lord. He uses it in ways that are amazing one of my, my first studies was with Lorena and Sergio in Argentina. And Sergio was hard. You would not believe how hard he was. He, he, I said, Sergio, you want to read this verse? No. Sergio, would you read this Bible? No, I don't want to read it. And so I'm sitting there and I'm having this Bible. And I'm nervous now because Sergio doesn't even want to read the Bible. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm all worried. And Lorena's just listening and she's re re reading the verses and all that. And she's all engaged. And Sergio's nothing, nothing. Doesn't even want to read a verse. I'm like, wow, this guy is hard as a rock. Three months later, I get a, a, an email from his brother-in-law. He says, Jeremy, I just want to thank you. Both Lorena and Sergio are coming to church every day. They got saved. And they got saved. I said, when did Sergio get saved? I mean, he was hard as could be. No, he got saved when you were at his house. I said, you're kidding me. He didn't want to read the Bible. 
He goes, Jeremy, you don't understand. He doesn't know how to read. <coughs> but he was listening to every word you said. And to my knowledge, they're still in the church. There are times we don't even know what God is doing. There are times when we feel like we fumble over our words and we think, boy, I really blew that one. I could have been so much better at this one and really done it. And God just touches a heart and packs a life and they're changed. That same couple, Katie was teaching him in Sunday school. Years later, we get an email from him saying, thank you. He said, not only did you lead me to Christ too, we led the son to Christ, but now I'm teaching the same class that your wife was teaching me. And I just want to thank you. Listen, what we do for God is not in vain. We may not see things. We may not hear things. But praise God, he is working through the power of his word and through our service. And all that matters is when we stand before him and we hear his words. That's what matters. But we have to know that in our minds that our toil for the Lord is not in vain or we'll give up. We'll stop. We'll stay away from God's people. We'll, we'll run from them. We'll, we'll say no to those opportunities that God puts before us. Do you want to serve here? Nah, we don't want. Do you want to serve over here? Nah, we don't want. Do you want to serve here? Nah, we don't want. And then all of a sudden, there's no more opportunities. Abound in the work of the Lord. Listen to how one guy puts this verse. He says, therefore, we should mortify emotion. Be steadfast. Unchangeable. I like this translation. Look at this. Not erratic and scatterbrained. Easily discouraged. Oh, that happens to all of us. Now I felt when that person told me, here's some sermon outlines from another pastor you need to learn how to preach. I thought she was joking. Then she gave it to me. Easily discouraged. And look what he says. And should multiply our good works in the knowledge that God the Lord will make them, what? Profitable. God will use our sin-tainted service for His honor and glory. If that doesn't excite you to serve the Lord, I don't know what will. Do we need to put pressure on you? Do I need to pull my wallet out? and say, we'll pay you to do this. Do I need to praise you all day so that you'll do something? Do I need to tell you it's the greatest joy, or do I need to tell you, look, what you do for God, God will take, and he will make it profitable. Yes. That's exciting. And you know why? Because he lives. If it wasn't for the resurrection, none of this would matter. If it wasn't for the resurrection, we're just womp, 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 womp. Our faith means nothing. Our friends will never see who died. But there is a resurrection. He is alive, and we need to serve the Lord. Look at this here. Something to ponder. Whatever stage you are in life, serving the Lord should be a priority. I'll never forget, just before Grandpa Tom died, about a few months before, we were sitting in Dunkin' Donuts. He said, Jeremy, you know, I, I pray and I, I'm part of the church, but what more can I do for God? Here's a guy that hardly could breathe and 
And yet he looks and says, I want to do more for God. I pray that's the prayer of your heart. You say, Lord, what more can I do for you? And if I'm going to err, I'm going to err on that side by your grace because I know every little thing I do, you'll take it and make it profitable for your glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that it doesn't matter what people say here on this earth. Only what you say and feel is what counts. And Lord, I admit, it's easy in my own heart to get discouraged, disillusioned, and want to just disappear. And there are times, if I'm honest, and Lord, with you, you know, God, that in my heart I wonder, why did I even bother preparing for that? When this text tells us that knowing you can take what we do for you and make it profitable. What we do for you is not empty. It's not in vain. You use it. <coughs> Even in this sin-tainted world, you use our service. So, Father, I pray for each one here, no matter what stage of life they're in, that the prayer of their heart would be, Lord, here am I. What can I do for you? How can I serve you more, not less? That they would admit in their hearts, maybe they're disillusioned, maybe they're discouraged with people and with service and with church that today they would take their eyes off of those people and put their eyes on you because we serve you. And Father, I, I pray and I, and I ask for forgiveness as a church if we've hurt anyone and caused that pain in their hearts for them to get discouraged and not serve. Help us to be a church that heals hearts, a church that cares for those who are hurting and gives them the opportunities they need to be all that you want them to be. Thank you so much for this wonderful day and wonderful reminder that he lives. And Lord, I, I pray that we understand that, there, that because he lives, we have a mission. We have work to do. And I pray, God, that you would help us to do that work. Thank you that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works that you prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Give us the grace to walk in them, we pray. In Jesus' precious name and for his glory, amen. amen. If you would, please stand with us.